Welcome to Gaia's Consciousness Podcast, expanding your mind and spirit. Learn even more at Gaia.com. Watch interviews, movies, and original series created to empower the evolution of consciousness. For more information, visit GaiaPodcast.com. Your journey begins here. Hello, my name is Greg Braden, and I want to welcome you to this very special edition of Missing Links. Today, I am with a dear friend, a colleague who I've known for many, many years. We have had the opportunity to tour the world together to share the new discoveries based on peer-reviewed science that are overturning 150 years of scientific thinking when it comes to you and me, the way we feel about ourselves, our relationship to the world, and beyond. Today, we're going to be talking about what those discoveries mean in our lives. Where do we go? How do we apply these discoveries? Bruce, I want to thank you. Welcome to the program today. I am so happy to be back with you, Greg. Thank you so very much. Well, you're very welcome. You know, you're, uh, you're always a welcome guest in this series because you've got so much to say. We've covered a lot of ground through the work that we've done together and through these interviews. And you know, the new discoveries, it's not like they happen at a, at a fixed moment in time. They are constant. They are ongoing. The best science of the modern world continues to reveal the deepest truths of our existence that tell us that we are not what we've been told in the past, much more than we've been led to believe, and empower us to embrace change in a healthy way. And I just want to ask you, just as a general question, based on everything that you've discovered now and the things that we share, how do you feel about our world today? How do you feel about where we are? Are are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic? Well, uh, the most important thing, the way I see it right now, is that we're exactly where we are supposed to be, Mm. that we're in a process of evolution. And we're moving from a non-sustainable world into one that is sustainable. Uh, Very significant in that is there's a structure of the world that we're living in. And it turns out science has revealed that the culture that we have created on this planet is actually precipitating what is called the sixth mass extinction of life, which of course will include humans as well. Uh, And since it's based on human behavior, the only way out of the problem is to change human behavior, which by definition, change human culture. So we're in a process where uh, the culture that we were raised with, uh, it has to come down so we can build on a better foundation, a culture we can thrive into the future with. So where we were in the process of the original one coming down and a new one forming at the same time. And when you look outside, you go, oh my God, it looks kind of crazy outside. Well, uh, that would be the appearance of this chaos as an old system is disassembling and a new system is coming together uh, and so are we in the right place? I think we're exactly in the right place. Well, this, it fits right into the model that both you and I have adhered to independently. And we both, uh, there's a lot of overlap in the way that we see in terms of cycles and trends. The only things breaking down are the things that are unsustainable. If we waited for the moment that we needed a new way of thinking, if we waited for that moment to try to develop new ways of living and thinking, it'd be too late. And the beauty is now, for the last half of the 20th century, now the early part of the 21st century, we've already got everything that we need to implement the new ways of thinking, new ways of living, sustainable ways of of being in this world. So it's not like we have to go back to square one and say, oh God, now what are we going to do? We already know what to do. And it makes that transition so much easier. I think the key, I'm finding the key, is to make the new discoveries accessible to a broad general audience rather than the, the very specific audiences. Uh, you know, in, in the scientific community, for example, they publish in uh, uh, peer-reviewed journals that are only read by their peers. You don't see that in, in the broad general audience. 
So how, in your opinion, what is the best way? How can we share this so that people can thrive? What we're really uh, in a position to do right now is recognize a very important fact, knowledge is power. And while people have heard that, it's more important to hear the corollary, a lack of knowledge is a lack of power. And we have been deprived of the knowledge that people know at the front end, the head scientists, the head economic people, uh, and they talk in their own circles, as you said. But until that information comes into the public, then the public has no power to deal with this. Right. So the first part of our evolution is first we must wake up <laughs> and wake up to who we are, what we are, and where we're going. Uh, and this information is not available in conventional schools and conventional curriculum. So it's a, it's a time for us to bring to the public uh, when we get a chance to present. We present stuff that is really only discussed at some higher level and never comes down. And, and, and why we do this and it's so important is then we give the public this knowledge which empowers them to make the change. So the knowledge is, yeah, we're, we're going through an evolution that when you see the world looking kind of crazy, that's not a scary thing. That's actually one of the most hopeful things in the world because if it actually stayed the same, uh, we would have a, a much more rapid extinction process than we have right now. Well, again, we, and we've talked about this before, the only things that are really unraveling right now are the things that are unsustainable. Uh, and they're based on a way of thinking. It was introduced in the mid-1800s when Darwin introduced his ideas. And I, you know, I, I met with a group of young people recently. And when you talk about the 1800s, to a group of millennials is like, you look at their eyes and it's just, they can't even, fat. They, or they look at me and they say, well, you were born in the 20th century, you know, and that was like last century. So they're already thinking, you know, along these, the lines that these are old discoveries. And so they asked me, they said, okay, Greg, Darwin, mid 1800s, 1859, he published his, his book, Origin of Species. This is 21st century. What difference could it possibly make? And it's a good question. And when I tell them that the society that we have come to depend upon, that we're, we're living in today, the foundations that society were built in late 1800s, early 1900s, upon the principles that were embraced quickly that were introduced by Charles Darwin. So the economic principles of, of competition, the, uh, the, the corporate system, the way we share vital resources. Yeah. So this, this is why I think it's so important that we have a new story. Uh, it has to be because the story is the cause of the problem. So right away, it says you can't solve the problem with the same thinking that created the problem. Albert said that. Yeah. Uh, and the reality is new thinking is coming in, thank God, because there's an opportunity uh, to change the thinking. And it's interesting because the millennial generation people are the ones, of course, that haven't been so fully groomed with the old belief system that they're still open to have another option presented to them. Sure. And, and what we're seeing from the front end of science is, oh, my God, uh, the new sciences uh, are really all about self-empowerment how we can control our lives, control our health, create what we're unfolding. And uh, one of the ones I love the most is because it's so basic, fundamental to everything in the world, and it's come from quantum physics, which is the most valid science on this planet. There is no science with more truth. And the first principle of quantum physics is consciousness is creating our life experiences. And I go, well, a profoundly simple statement, but profoundly simple meaning, and that is if you change your consciousness, then you change your life experiences, and this is what we need to do. We have to get out of the old consciousness of limitation, old consciousness of competition, and that uh, violence is a necessary part of our, our biology, which the Germans actually wrote in a science paper that war is a, a necessary part of our evolution. Yeah. Uh, and, and so these old beliefs are really holding us behind. Uh, and the new beliefs are more important because the new beliefs take us into community. Rather, Darwinian theory is based on individual. Who's the, uh, you know, the most fit, the fittest individual? 
Uh, and I say, well, wow, that's just basic competition. Now, who's going to find they're going to be the fittest? Who's going to fight for the top? And I say, the new biology is like not based on the fittest. It's based on those that can fit in the best, those that can adapt the best, those that live in a community in harmony. So all of a sudden it says evolution is not the separation based on one individual competing with another individual. The evolution is the people coming together in a community and sharing awareness, which is the foundation of a process called emergence, which means you may know all the individual pieces. So for example, uh, an electric uh, engineering person knows a resistor, a capacitor, a transistor, transformers, all these pieces. Uh, and the reality is, well, you have all the knowledge of all the pieces, but it's only when you can put the pieces together and create something like a computer. The computer comes out of the pieces. You can't see the computer in the pieces. You can only, when you bring them together, see that. And so what we're in a very similar kind of emergence right now. We have a lot of intelligence about a lot of things, but until it all comes together and creates the image of the future, uh, then we're capable of moving into that. Well, I think, and what you're saying is it happens on levels within levels within levels. And, and for me, and I recognized this when I was in the corporations, the most fundamental levels is that we have taken nature, compartmentalized nature in these little boxes that we're comfortable studying, like a box called geology. I'm a geologist, yeah. or chemistry or physics or biology. Nature doesn't know about those boxes. There is no boundary. Where do you draw the line between where does chemistry end and biology begin? Where does quantum physics end and everything else begin? The answer is the minute you draw that line, you're locked into the separation and the false assumptions. So, as a scientist, I've always wanted to ask you this question. As a scientist, if our world mirrored on a biological level everything that you found to be true in cells and biology, what would our world look like today? How, how would our world model society, families, populations after what the cell is teaching us about life? Well, the first thing we have to understand about a cell is that all of the functions that are in a human are already present in almost all of our cells. So a human doesn't have anything new that a cell has. And I say, well, then what is a human? I say, well, we see it as an individual, as a one entity. The truth is a human is a community of 50 trillion cells. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Cells have jobs, cells have an economy, cells have a healthcare system, they have a government. Uh, all of the functions that we express in our outer world are totally reflected by the functions expressed on in the inner world. The relevance is this, think about that your body is made out of 50, 50 trillion individual cells and every cell is like a miniature human. I say, my goodness, there's a community of 50 trillion humans living in harmony under our skin. And all of a sudden I say, well, they have the same needs and the same requirements that we as individuals have. And, and, and the new science, which is called biomimicry, is really the leading edge science that says, well, how can 50 trillion cells live in harmony and work together and create health? And the idea is once you start to look inside and see the exchanges of how they relate to each other, how there's an economy, there's actually a money moving around in the system, and you start to realize the economy in the biology is so different than the economy in our human world that once, you, if you understand the biology in the, inside the economy, we can create a healthy world out here. There's only 8 billion of us and there's 50 trillion cells inside. Uh, they have a lot to teach us. And uh, fortunately for me, I was excited to be a cell biologist because I observed cells for many, many, many years and cloning them and studying them and seeing how they work. And that's what helped change my entire life because I didn't take my lessons from 
uh, society and the conventional stuff. I took them from the cells. Mm. And, and once I started to live according to the principles, the cells taught me, my life completely changed on this planet. And uh, I've been living in harmony uh, with the environment. As you said, it's not just living with other people, it's living with everything else around us, the chemistry, the energy, the biology, the, the physics. Uh, once you learn to live in harmony with that, then all of a sudden you're on a whole different plane. A healthy human body is a reflection of a healthy community. And exactly. This is what we need. Uh, and just to, you know, before I end on that, a very simple point is in our world today, people are fighting each other. And in bodies where the cells fight each other, uh, disease is called autoimmune disease, which by definition means self-destruction. And it's interesting because we're experiencing a self-destruction in our society. And the more self-destruction in our society, guess what? the more the individuals are reflecting that in their own inner society. So autoimmune diseases are on the rise because autoimmune disease is affecting the human population. And the basic says, how can you get to harmony again? The answer is stop fighting each other. And all of a sudden we have a doorway to peace and happiness. Sure. So I'm thinking about everything that we're saying and, and a question that comes to my mind and, and people have asked us this question is when it comes to the term survival, you know, it means different things to different people. But if nature is not, in fact, based upon Darwin's idea of competition, then what does it mean to survive? What is that really telling us? Well, it's very important to understand that below our consciousness level, even below our, our, our basic level of awareness, there's something called the biological imperative. The biological imperative is the drive to survive. Every organism from a bacterium up to a human, you try to kill a bacterium, it's not gonna sit there and go, oh, okay, kill me. It's gonna do everything to stay alive. So every organism is driven to stay alive. Right. Now the significance is, well, what does it mean? Well, as an individual, that means, well, first of all, you have to have air, water, food, safety, shelter, and something to do. Uh, and why is this important? Because if we fulfill those basics, which are the basics of life, then the drive to survive has been fulfilled. And to do that also involves community. Why? Because if some person is dropping out and not doing well, then other people in the community are supposed to be there to what? Lift them up and bring them up. Dolphins do this all the time. Uh, if one of them is not doing well, other dolphins will swim underneath and lift them up so they can breathe the air and then come back down. That's called working in harmony and working in a community. Uh, and community is the evolutionary end point that we're looking for because as you can see in the world right now, it's so broken up into small little groups and here and here. Uh, but until they integrate and recognize we're all one living community, then survival takes on a different meaning. That means we support each other in this process. And all of a sudden, the idea of competition which says, look, I got my food and you don't have yours and that's just the Darwinian theory and we're okay with it. That's not okay in a world based on uh, cooperation and community. Gaia.com lets you explore over 8,000 films, documentaries, and original series. There's so much going on in the unseen world. Hidden truth. Why in the media today? They still seem to hold back on these incredible stories. Behind an unknown universe. Where science and spirituality all come together. Gaia.com. Content you can't find anywhere else. For more information, visit GaiaPodcast.com. I think we're, we're moving from the thinking of surviving to the understanding it's possible to thrive. Yes. Survival leaves us with the feeling we're like just getting by. Thriving suggests that regardless of what the circumstances are, how they change, that we not just get by, but we actually are able to do just that, to thrive, to, to rejuvenate, to regenerate. 
biologically and uh, and be very productive in terms of the way we do this. And you know, I, I'm a I'm an optimist, but I'm also a realist. And I look into the world for realistic examples. And time after time, I've written about these in some of the books. I have a book, Deep Truth, where I talk about these. We see examples of humans who are in dire situations, life and death situations, where uh, where their lives and the lives of themselves or even other animals are threatened. And time after time, what you see is there's a subconscious, a subconscious trigger that appears to kick in and at the risk of their own safety, people will put themselves in harm's way. Uh, When the floods happened in Europe, they were saving elephants at the risk of being drowned. Afghanistan and Baghdad, there are more stories than, than I could even recount of, one, soldiers are in a Humvee, someone tosses in a grenade, and one soldier, without even thinking, throws his body on that grenade and absorbs the impact and the shrapnel to save the people around him. He didn't even have time to think about it. And that tells us it's not something, it's not based on logic, it's who we are. It's the essence of who we are. And I think that's the difference between surviving and, and thriving. Oh, absolutely. And, and it's so important to recognize that, for example, when the tsunami came, we, we have a military. And I say, what's the function of the military? It's like, uh, uh, that's protection. And I go, yeah, but it, it's also uh, the reflection of arms and legs. You know, when I say, what's a protection response? Arms and legs. I said, well, that's the military is society's arms and legs to go out there and fight. But you also brought up a very important point. Uh, the adrenaline that makes the soldier go into war is the same adrenaline that makes the fireman go into the burning building to save a person. And so basically it says, when we use this a system, the arms and legs, the adrenal system, and we only focus it on war and create a military that only fights, uh, by definition, then you better have some wars because otherwise what are you doing with all these people? Except when the tsunami came, for example, the military was called in to do what? Help the people. Yep. And then when they talked to the soldiers afterwards, the soldiers said that was their finest hours of being in the service. And I go, this is exactly the, the, the relationship. I need the military if there's a threat, but I also need the military to help. Sure. And, and when the military is doing the helping job, it fulfills not just their, their life, but it changes the world as well. Uh, and so what we really have to do is recognize uh, the military is really the Department of Mobility. Are we moving towards something that we don't you know, want to get rid of? Are we moving towards something we want to build up? Uh, the military should be doing both of these. Yeah, I've always said that. You know, I have friends of mine in the military, young men and women. And yeah, they can go into combat, but they are really good at rapid deployment. They're good at building hospitals within hours, at distributing food, shelter, and helping people in times of need. And as we're going through this convergence, our time of extremes, the chaos of a changing world, those are extremes are becoming more and more common. And the, uh, the intense weather that we're seeing, the tsunamis, tornadoes, fires, all those kinds of things. And these people want, it is their natural desire. They want to help, and you're right, they feel more fulfilled when they do something like that. So I think all of these help us to see if we need something to reinforce within ourselves, what our truest nature is, that conflict competition. These are learned characteristics. It's not our truest nature. So in looking at the most basic unit of life as a model, as a template on the microscopic level for what's happening in the macro level, uh, although I'm an earth scientist, I have a strong background in life sciences. I was an ocean, ocean science major, marine biology and molecular biology and all that. And one of the things that really, really st- stood out for me, uh, and I didn't pursue it to the degree that you have a- as a biologist, 
But whenever I would study populations of cells, the cells as a community, every one of the cells had to have the basic needs met before the unit of cells could move forward uh, and evolve and progress in a, in a healthy way. And I always felt that, that we were being shown something so profound because if we apply that idea to our communities and to our world and our populations, uh, I think that's a powerful template. Do, do you feel? I mean, it's more than a powerful well? template. I've been talking about this for a long time because, as I said, in the body there's an exchange of currency. It's called uh, ATP, adenosine triphosphate. It's a, a, a coin of the realm that biologists refer to it as. It's not a bitcoin. Not a very. It's a, <laughs> a very little bit. <laughs> and the idea about it is is that it's a unit of energy. And what's interesting is there's no wealth in the body until every cell has the basics of life. Every cell has to be able to be fed, protected, have an environment, have a job, and they all work together. What's interesting then is once every cell uh, is covered, any more you know, energy, wealth in the system now can go to individuals. So there's another level that says once everybody's covered, then individual cells can start to make more energy and hold on to this energy in their cells, these units, these coins of the realm. Uh, and so the next level, first level is everybody first has to be given the basics of life. Then anything produced after that is called wealth. And the first level of wealth is individuals can accumulate wealth because of their jobs. Nerve cells have a lot more ATP than a skin cell, but it's all based on their job and, and the energy required. But what's also interesting is this, because uh, the wealth is a coin, a molecular uh, unit, a cell can only have so much. Mm. And it says once a cell has the full complement of money, ATP, that it can have, any extra wealth then goes into the community bank. And the community bank is to cover all contingencies. You break a leg, you have a problem with your kidney or something like that. There's a resource to cover the system. Now, this is completely different than the world we live in, which says, I can make as much money as I want at the expense of others that don't have anything. Uh, so uh, some people could have $60 billion, and then there's you know a million people uh, living in a garbage pile trying to scrape some food together. It's like, oh my God, we are so out of balance on this. Well, those are Darwinian. Those are Darwinian ideas. Absolutely. That, that you're talking says, about. So, so this is where you and I, I think, have, there's a potential here. Uh, because we can pass laws. You know, you can pass, Congress passed, for example, the anti-hate law in 2009, making it a hate crime illegal. So you can make it illegal to perform a hate crime, but that law doesn't change the fundamental thinking that leads to the hate to begin with. So what I'm seeing is our society is creating temporary bandages trying to fix a problem without understanding fundamentally what the essence is and what you and I are doing is we're transcending the bandage and we're going to right to the core of the thinking that has led to the wound that we're all dealing with. And, and so my question, Bruce, what do you think is the most efficient way to share this information in a meaningful, applicable way beyond our community that has already embraced it, beyond the choir that we have well, the opportunity? We love the choir. Uh, the choir, the people that come and, and support our, our work and our programs all over the world. But if we're going to carry this right to the core of corporations, to the core of governments, to the core of places where this has the greatest impact, in your opinion, what would be the most 
efficient way to do that in the shortest period of time? Well, the most efficient way is to get the leaders in each one of these corporations, government, whatever entity they are, is to give them the education because they're still like everybody else been programmed with this negative kind of programming, such as a Darwinian belief that uh, competition is a, a way of life. And it's like, uh, I always laugh about that because uh, uh, competition leads to the violence to compete and then to war and all that stuff. And then you, I say, well, look at the garden. I say, what is a garden? It's not a battleground. A, a garden is the highest cooperation in the world. So we want to re, you know, return to a garden. But then we need leaders that understand what we're talking about. And unfortunately, leaders come from the old programming, so they're just uh, perpetuating the same old beliefs over and over again. So when we see the system collapsing, as it is right now, this is the very important sign, because it said, then there's an opportunity for new leaders that come in with an educational background of the new world to then help us get out of the old hole and bring us into the new one. So, uh, of course, that requires the old system to collapse and the seeding of a new system with a consciousness intelligence of at the, what's at the front edge, not dredging up the old beliefs from the past and keep putting them in and they don't work. You know, where I'm, uh, I agree 100% and where I'm really encouraged, where I'm sitting is, is with the young people. Uh, I recently had the opportunity to lead a group through Israel, three weeks. And, uh, you know, we see Israel through the lens of a television news camera from the perspective of the people who are creating those images, what they think is important, what they want us to see. I have to tell you, when you're on the ground and you've been there, you know this. Oh, yes. It's, it's a very different image. And one of the things that I was so, uh, I mean, I, just, I cried. I literally cried when I saw the young people, the Palestinian children and the Israeli children. When I say children, some of them were in grade school. Some of them were young adults. They were together in the parks. They were together on the beaches. And we talked to them. Uh, they, and they loved to test their English. Yeah. And they had Western T-shirts on saying, you know, we love America or we love France or, you know, whatever it is. And we talked them. We said, what do you see for your country? And they said, you know, and they were very honest. They said, we understand the past. They're, they're very aware of the past. They said, we understand the hurt of our parents that our parents experienced and our grandparents. They said, but it's not our hurt. And they said, we're ready for another world. We, and they put their arms around one another. You know, the guys that said, we're in a band together. We play soccer together. Yes. The girls, we went to a park and there were probably 12, 15 Palestinian, Christian, and Israeli girls drumming and dancing. When our group went over to join them, they were thrilled, you know, for us to do that. So what they're saying to us is that we're ready for a new world while we're not denying the past. It is the past, and we're going to move from this point forward. And they're asking for tools to help yeah. them to do that. And I think for me, one of the, the, the most efficient places maybe we can put our energy is with young people who are now, I mean, what would the world look like with a group of young people educated to understand that nature is based on cooperation and not competition, that nature is their friend, and that they are part of rather than separate from the world and empowered empowered to self-regulate their own bodies. I mean, what a very, very different world we would have. I, I've seen this because when I've been in Israel, I've visited a, a, a young couple that got married and she uh, is a Israeli Jew and he is Israeli Arab. Hmm. And he was programmed wow. as a kid to hate Jews and she was programmed to be afraid of Arabs. And they saw each other in the Sinai desert as they were walking toward each other. They didn't even get to each other and that thunderbolt hit. 
And within three days, they got married, and then they they had a, a couple of young boys, and it was time to go to school, and that was the problem. They said, where are we going to send the kids to school? So they went and looked at the, uh, the, the Jewish school. Then they went and looked at the Arab school. And then they went and looked at the Christian school, and they came home and they cried. Mm. They said, we can't send our kids to any of these because each one was polarizing the students against the other groups in each yeah, one. Yeah, demonizing the other groups. Actually, actually more so, yeah. yeah. And so they created something called the uh, Orchard of Abraham, and what it has, it's a kindergarten that brings uh, Jewish and Arab kids in the kindergarten thing. Now, when you see these kids playing together, they have no vision of animosity, no hatred and all that. And as you mentioned, when they start working together, playing together and all that, uh, it's much harder to pull them apart later and say, hey, we've been friends for so many years, now I hate you. That's not <laughs> likely to happen. Yeah. And so when we start with the young people, and give them a chance to see the world in a very different way than we've been programmed to see it, they can grow up with a different set of rules. And, and the unfortunate part is that in developmental programming, uh, a parent, the way they were raised, uh, use that, that own programming from being raised as a family to raise their own family. So they propagate the beliefs from generation to generation to generation, even without knowing they're doing because it, it's a subconscious behavior. And the reality is there's a point where you, we have to stop and say, we cannot keep passing the old story because that's the thing that prevents us from moving into the future, as you just mentioned. So uh, education is, is important. And as these kids begin to grow up and they grow up in being friends, there's not a likely one day that they'll look at each other and say, oh my God, you're my enemy. Uh, it will never happen. So we can stop uh, 100, 200 years uh, of this conflict. 3,000 years. 3,000. <laughs> uh, and, and get the children to, to start to recognize we're all, uh, uh, you know, actually the name of the program that I'm involved with is called Human First. Humans First. We're first humans. <laughs> then they put all the programs on. If we emphasize human first, yeah. then there shows no separation. And uh, in my understanding of evolution is uh, there is a phase where the individual is important to make the smartest individual. But once you get the smartest individual, you can't make them any smarter biologically, physically, mechanically. And I said, well, then evolution ended. I said, yeah, it did. But then the next level of evolution was to take the individuals, bring them together in a community and create something different. And, and this is exactly where we are right now is uh, taking the individuals and saying, wait, we're all part of the same community and bring them together. So our evolution is watching what the breakdown of barriers and borders and because the Internet was global uh, and all of a sudden it says people in Iran could talk to people in Detroit. And all of a sudden they started communicating across global lines. What was the point? The barriers, the separations, the programming disappeared when there was a dialogue that was capable of being carried out across the globe you, at the same you're time. You're answering my, my, my last question here. You've written a book called The Honeymoon Effect. Yes. And uh, if we were to see that honeymoon effect in our world, what, what would the world look like? And, and I'll tell you the reason I think it's important is because it's one thing to talk about change and what the world can be, but to have that change, we need an image to cling onto, to grasp of what is possible rather than saying we want change, where do we want that change to look like? So yeah. if the world reflected the honeymoon effect, what would that look like? Well, I say, look, an average person before they met that special person that blew their minds, uh, uh, they have a day-to-day -day life, oh God, uh, another day, blah, 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 every day, every day. And then they meet this person that comes into their life and in 24 hours, 
They're blah, blah, blah world goes to heaven on earth. They're so happy. They're so overjoyed. The music's better. The food's better. Even a job that wasn't that good, all of a sudden, that's not a problem anymore. And guess what? They're happy. They're in love. And all of a sudden, I said, ah, oh, when the love comes into the equation, heaven comes onto the planet. And the relevance about that is, so what, how did they do that, have a whole life of blah, 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 and 24 hours go into heaven on earth? And the answer is, because we don't realize it, but 95% of our behavior is coming from programs that we got, and especially those downloaded in the first seven years. And the interesting part is, what happens when people fall in love? Well, science has now recognized it's the first time in their life they stopped playing the programs they mm -hmm. got in their development and started creating from what their personal wishes and desires were. And guess what? Everybody's personal wishes and desires, as opposed to their program, are what? Love, happiness, joy, uh, fun, and all these things. So when people stop playing the program, they start creating this version called the honeymoon which all of a sudden is the most enjoyable part of their lives. And science has recognized, well, how did you do that? And how did you do it in 24 hours? The answer was stop playing the developmental program that was downloaded us into us, especially when we were children. And the moment we stop playing that, the individual's wishes and desires manifest. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, the world turns into heaven on earth. And this is what I actually believe from my science, that that's not just a figure of speech. I think uh, people think, well, you die and go to heaven. And I go... I actually think it's the other way around. I think we're born into heaven. I love that. Because this is where we came to create. And then you look at the creation, I go, well, it doesn't look really good right now. And I go, yeah, because we're not creating from our wishes and desires. We are creating from the programs. And as the honeymoon effect reveals, the moment you stop playing the program and you start living from wishes and desires, that's the manifestation. Mm -hmm. So uh, the message is very clear. It's the program that has taken us away and it's the stopping of the program that changes the world into heaven on earth. I think this is so important. You've given us a very real, uh, accessible, non-technical way of mirroring in our lives what the science is telling us to be true. So Bruce, I look forward to you and I seeing in the world the fruits of the labor and the wisdom uh, from the knowledge that has been revealed in our lifetimes that you and I have worked almost uh, our entire lifetimes to share with the world. I want to thank you for being with us oh, today. I so appreciate it. And I also want to say the joy of, um, for me, looking at an individual such as yourself and working in harmony with someone who is working from that point is like, it is a completely different world than when I was working in a scientific lab because I start to realize that because we're creating as conscious uh, individuals, as quantum physics reveals, our consciousness creating, when we clear our consciousness and all of a sudden the joy uh, and the love of the planet manifests and so I want to thank you for revealing that to me so I can work with you on that level. It's the new human story. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Gaia's Consciousness Podcast. Learn even more at Gaia.com and watch interviews, movies, and original series, all to empower the evolution of consciousness. For more information, visit GaiaPodcast.com. Gaia. Watch. Belong. Transform.